0: This is Nicole Desain. Welcome to Talent Tales, the show where I interview leaders who have brought design thinking to their talent and HR practices. In today's episode, we have a special guest on the show. I'm joined by Danielle Crane, who is the Chief Talent Officer at Greenpath. Welcome, Danielle. Thanks for
1: having me. Danielle, what's your story? Yeah, so I think probably most notably, I am the girl who almost didn't enter the field of HR. Um, I went to a liberal arts college and was on track for a dual degree in English and HR. I did one HR internship at a hospital system uh, my junior year and promptly quit the profession about 48 hours later. Um, HR literally sat like in the basement down this long white concrete hallway, like between two locked doors and everybody in the company just like hated interacting with them, only did so when a process, you know, made them, made them do so. And so I marched back into my career counselor's office. I was like mad as heck because she had suggested HR as a potential career path for me. And I thought like, man, this woman hates me. Right. Um, And I'm lucky. She's very good at what she did. She got me to like pause and breathe for a second. And then she Challenged me to try another internship and you know think about designing a career path that changed who HR could be in an organization versus settling for maybe what I had been exposed to. was oh, so, super progressive! You yeah, know, she was give all, that advice. Yeah, I'm grateful. Um, so yeah, I've done that, and now I have a career that I love, and I've had a lot of, ton of fun over the last ten to fifteen years now. Didn't you? Did you end up designing it? Yeah, yeah. I so, I'm, I'm pleased with my cool. At. We'll talk a
0: little bit about that since that's the purpose of the call, I guess. So yeah. <laughs> but first share with us uh, people you really are usually interested in learning about my interview partner's creative superpower. What's yours?
1: Oh man. Um, so I'll show you my my post-it note here. Hopefully you can get it. So these are humans. Uh-huh. You can't tell. Yeah. And then these are like questions and ideas. So um, you know, I think that I am a connector of humans and ideas. If you're familiar with um, Gallup Strength Finders, individualization and learner are two of my top strengths. And so individualization is all about having the ability to see what's unique in people and like what motivates them, how they tick. And then learner is about having just this insatiable curiosity around things. And so I think when I'm able to like intersect both of those superpowers, it really feels like like magic is happening.
0: Oh, cool! That's yeah. so cool. <laughs> I love that little stick figures with the little light bulbs. Anybody can do one. <laughs> I know, and you know, that's I always say, stick figures are a okay. They're for everybody. They need to be Picasso. Yeah. Um. So, tell us a little bit more about how you discovered design thinking and how you've applied it at Greenpath.
1: Okay. Yeah. So. I always say like a little bit of luck and a little bit of love in terms of how I discovered it. Um, Luck in that I gained a new CEO about four years ago who had immersed herself in design thinking practices and was passionate about bringing that with her into our organization. And so at her advice, I attended the Luma training, um, which was kind of the basic foundational principles. And so after, you know, after attending that, I really did fall in love with how organizations were using design thinking to creatively problem solve and design new stuff. And, you know, most of them were doing it for their customers. And then I kind of thought like, well, hey, I've got customers, they're internal versus external. And so I'm really interested in in exploring that. Um, You know, I think too, as I mentioned, I've never really considered myself a traditional HR person. Um, primarily because rules and process tend to like make me break out in hives. And so the idea of like being able to apply some of these methods to solve for some of our pain points, not just through enforcement of things was really attractive to me. Um, so in terms of some of the ways that we're using it, so I should also share, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Dan Ariely, who's the professor of psychology and behavioral economics at Duke. And Mm -hmm. so we are pairing a lot of the design thinking principles with the behavioral economics principles. Mm -hmm. So design thinking to kind of like understand the need and then behavioral economics to change the behavior on on the back end there. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So a couple ways, um, well this one came to mind pretty uh, pretty clear due to the last few weeks events. Uh, About a year and a half ago, we used the immersion technique as we were starting to deploy about a third of our workforce to go remote. And so I was really grateful that we'd gone through that exercise and you know, kept, uh, captured those learnings because you know, three weeks ago, when we were faced with the situation of needing to get 100% of our workforce remote, we were able to get about 200 people remote thanks to the learnings that we had captured you know, through using immersion and all of that. So um, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity right now as our employees' needs are changing to be using those design thinking principles um, to, to uncover employees' current needs, maybe versus what we knew the needs to be before.
0: Can you share a little bit more about how this immersion worked? Because I'm yeah. sure people can really benefit from this now.
1: Yeah, so immersion really is like putting yourself in the situation of your potential user. And so as we were going through the immersion, we did an immersion week where all of the teams that support our employees had to go work in an environment that other, you know, that our remote employees were working in. And so they had to use the tools and the technology and they couldn't schedule their meetings around the times that they would be in the office. And, you know, so we put some constraints around it as well. And I think that, you know, we had all of our talent teams do it. So, you know, our employee experience, talent development, quality, our compliance teams, we had our IT teams do it so they could even experience, you know, some of what a user does. And we learned a lot, you know, one of the, one of the simplest learnings that we had was um, people couldn't contact our IT help desk because they couldn't get into their system, right? So unless you had the help desk number programmed into your cell phone, if you were truly locked out, like you were stuck, you were texting, you know, everybody in the company to try Mm -hmm. to get you up and running again. Mm
0: -hmm. And so one
1: of the changes that we made in our new hire process is actually like programming IT's number into your phone when you first come on board. And so that that was kind of a cool change that came from that. Was that Mm -hmm.
0: helpful? Yeah, so it looks like you captured some of the learnings Mm -hmm. from that immersion and now that comes in really handy.
1: Yeah, so we moved really quickly, as I mentioned, to get 200 people, you know, working remotely in less than 10 days. And I think that it was um, because of that immersion week experience and we had, you know, done quite a bit to improve that process, you know, by lifting up those learnings that enabled us to move as quickly as we did. Mm -hmm.
0: Very cool. Yeah. Um, And just a reminder, please put your questions in the chat. We'll get to them at the end of the interview. So I know you've also used design thinking. So this is obviously very topical, but I know you've used them in other areas as well. Do you want to share a couple more examples? Sure.
1: Um, Yeah. So I think one of the most fun ways that we've leveraged design thinking is in our benefit plan design. And so I can give a few examples of that. Um, mm-hmm. We use journey mapping quite a bit, uh, but when we journey mapped our new hire experience, can and, you explain?
0: Sorry, yeah. can you explain a little <laughs> bit for those for who sure. are not that familiar? Yep.
1: Yeah. So journey mapping is really to um, pair alongside your user and map out their highs and lows as you're as they're going through your experience. Whatever, if it's a process, you know. So, for example, when we used it for our new hires, we really like mapped their experience out from recruitment to first day on the job Uh and, you know, got a feel for, you know, where were they feeling like we did just an amazing job so that we could leverage those opportunities and do more of that. And then where were they feeling pain points? And so one of the areas that we identified was benefit enrollment was a pain point probably not a shock to anybody in HR. It's why we're constantly chasing open enrollment and, you know,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, but specifically, you know, we started to learn that people weren't enrolling in our retirement plans because they were receiving so many communications that first week that the barrier of having to like log into a system that I've never logged into, set up a user ID and password, and then actually have to like make decisions around my benefit plans just like caused people to freeze and say like, I'll just do it later. Right. And then Mm -hmm. later, you know, turns into 10 years from now and you still haven't saved anything for retirement. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we um, again had like lifted up that need through journey mapping. And then we applied the uh, behavioral economics principle of reducing friction. Mm -hmm. And so we, Uh, put an auto-enrollment on our benefit plans and in our retirement plans specifically back in 2016 or so. And as a result, we have seen our participation rate increase from about 38% of our employees participating to around 84% in less than a three-year period. Um, Wow.
0: And the auto-enrollment, though, provides the option to opt out, yep, right? Exactly. So but they yeah. have to actively up versus the other way around, they have yeah. to opt in. This is they're in, they have to opt out if they don't want to participate, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. and so the cool part about that is I actually we actually created friction for them to opt out, yeah. right? So we we made it easier for them to actually stay in and and save versus creating friction to to go in and opt out. So
0: just curious, what's been the uh reaction from the employees cuz you know, some who are cynical could say you know who are yeah. you to make the decision for your employees right so i'm just yeah. curious i mean obviously i think it's great people should save more <laughs> for obvious reasons but you know just curious what then the employees you know what yeah. what did, how did they respond did they like it did they think that wasn't
1: inappropriate or what was <laughs> sort of there it's a funny question um actually the girl who does all of our payroll and benefits was one of those people you know when we first uh-huh. started talking about uh-huh. doing this yeah you know, she was like, no, like I'm not making that decision for other Uh people. And, Uh um, you know, and so we had to do a fair amount of education around like, Mm -hmm. what does it look like? And really taking a look at the demographics of our workforce, you know, a good percentage of our workforce comes straight out of school. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, we were able to kind of reframe it to, it's almost our duty, you know, to educate, Team members in a in a mm-hmm. different type way, and we're still giving them choice, right? Mm-hmm. right. Um, you know, so we didn't remove the option of choice. We just made it easier for them to make the mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. they can they can opt out, or they can go mm-hmm. in and change their they, their percentage. So that was the other mm-hmm. kind of step that we took. Is um, we did some interviews with employees, and truly went in with that beginner's mindset to understand, like, when you go in and elect your percentage, why do you choose what you do? Right? So Uh we had seen previously that a lot of employees were choosing around like the 3% mark. Uh We're like, what is it about 3%? You know, we don't, it's not a match. We have a separate, you know, pension contribution. So there wasn't any, you know, financial incentive to stick to the 3%. And we learned that like, there actually wasn't a whole lot of logic around it. Like people just Uh number three right, was uh-huh. relevant and they, they chose three. Uh-huh. And so um, we actually then again used the behavioral economics principle of defaulting uh-huh. and we defaulted them to 7%. Uh-huh. And, you know, we found that people just didn't really change it. They, once they uh-huh. started contributing at the 7%, they were comfortable doing so. Um, and again, that friction, you know, uh, barrier there. And so we were actually able to increase our average contribution percentage from 2016 it was about 3.4 percent and we're now at about 15 percent so again mm-hmm. in a, a three-year period or so some pretty material changes right yeah.
0: what I like is that you kind of combine different methods right so mm-hmm. design thinking is a qualitative method so it looks like yeah. you use journey mapping maybe persona yeah based journey mapping um, as a design thinking method and but they also use data it looked like you know you looked at your data first to understand the problem right then you use design thinking to get more color around the around the problem and what people are experiencing and Mm -hmm. then use behavioral economics principles to then design interventions does that sound sort of like the combination of approaches
1: you said it more eloquently than i ever could uh. <laughs> that's
0: great.
1: yeah so so and that's i
0: always say that you know you you should um combine design thinking especially in in our field when it when we apply to hr with you know yeah. in general probably too but i know hr right with other methods to make it you know a very comprehensive approach um, very cool Um, Did you do anything else around the benefits or is that sort of... Yeah.
1: So, you know, you mentioned personas. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that we did is we leveraged personas to help our employees connect the benefits we were offering to the needs that they were lifting up. So, you know, a good example of this is we uncovered a common need between two large groups that we had in our workforce. And so the first group was people that were going to school in addition to working. And then the second group was new parents. And so as you might anticipate, the common need was sleep. Like this is a really tired group of people. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so we decided to offer a rest and relaxation room at our headquarters to meet that need. So, Mm -hmm. you know, employees can book a half hour to, you know, just kind of chill out, get close their eyes. And so, you know, rather than saying like, okay, we've got a nap room, go use it. You know, we created personas for each of those groups to say like, this is, this is what's offered. And this is the need that it's meeting, Mm -hmm. you know, please use it if it can meet that need. And so I think that that just helped people feel, um, you know, more confidence that we really were taking their needs into account and trying to Mm -hmm. design solutions to meet the needs that they were lifting up.
0: Yeah, interesting. So you really tied it to the persona and the need that they have. So they understand why you're doing it instead of generic benefit. Hey, we put this room in and everybody's like, why? And for whom is it? You know, you really tied it also probably in the communication. Yes. Uh, Very cool. So again, just a reminder, please put your questions in the chat. Uh, We'll get to them shortly. Um, But Danielle, so uh, let's talk a little bit about barriers. People usually want to know, you know, as they contemplate using design thinking, what barriers have you encountered in bringing human-centered design to the organization? And how did you overcome those?
1: Yeah, I can name a couple. Um, you know, I think the first barrier, the largest barrier that we faced was people thinking that it was silly um, or even childish. You know, I, we were moving from a culture that rewarded having really polished PowerPoints with, mm-hmm. you know, um, articulate, you know, refined talking points to using a million post-it notes and drawing stick figures and, you know, and I think that people doubted whether that was like effective, professional, um, or even just like a good way to work. And so it's been a movement, I think, to get people on board with the benefits that can come from using constraints and creativity. Uh, We used teach to learn concept to overcome that one. So, you know, one of the things that we, we know to be true about our workforce is they really like helping other people. Mm. And so they felt Mm -hmm. good when they were teaching somebody something else. And so, you know, that kind of created this natural enrollment in some of design thinking principles, because as they were charged with teaching others how to do it, they wanted to do it really well. So they, you know, kind of got in and understood it. Mm. And I think started to secretly fall in love as -hmm. they were helping others learn. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, I love that. I love yeah. that. Con- I hadn't heard about that concept. So well, yeah. I mean I um I mean obviously I've heard and done that concept but I didn't know there was actually a term for that. So Yeah, teach to learn. Oh, uh, teach to learn. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, and then so it's interesting depending kind of your current culture right and the norms and the professional behaviors or whatever of your culture you might face different barriers in introducing design thinking right so I also come from a you know uh, professional services background also consulting so powerpoints only right so I I get that that that's maybe seen initially as not professional and you know we saw your little stick figures and I draw Similarly. Um, <laughs> you know, we're <laughs> not professional. Saying, no, <laughs> <laughs> no I, <laughs> I love them. We are okay. not professional artists, right? And it looks kind of on a post-it note, it looks unpolished. So, you know, how might we <clears throat> take a, a culture and employees from the culture to another place? So I, I love that concept that you described. Um, yeah. so tell us a little bit about the you talked about the impact for benefits specifically, but overall, what's the impact you've noticed after having introduced human-centered design? In the organization?
1: So I think the the biggest impact is like, I'm not feeling like I have to push our humans as hard to do what they just need to do. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so I mentioned earlier, like that I really hate rules and process and like, and enforcement. But the reality is like, there's a lot of that that exists in HR, because it has to because there are regulations behind it, because people need to get paid, you know, people need. And so, you know, I think that I, I find myself like not having to pull people through stuff so much, you know, that they're that we're designing experiences for them that they actually look forward to being a part of or they can see the clear benefit on the back end, you know, and so they're just more personally motivated to do what they need to do versus doing it because Danielle is telling them that if they don't do it by Friday that, you know, they're mm-hmm. not they're going to have some major consequence. Um. <laughs> Which awesome, a little bit, right? But <laughs> that,
0: the latter is more like a parental sort of child relationship, right? Which sometimes in HR we we've, we've played or we've had to play, right? But the mm-hmm. former sounds much more of an interaction between adults, right? Which I think we all
1: yeah, it's way more fun, more, right? right? It's more, <laughs> yes. it's way more fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I think we were just talking about it that you have a two-year-old at home, especially right now. Everybody is at home and having their yeah. kids, so you have to do that there anyway so you know Probably. why yeah. not ease up a little bit
1: yeah <laughs> he reminds me every day that i don't get to choose what humans do <laughs> so yeah.
0: Um, yeah oh okay um so just a quick reminder again please put um questions in the chat uh if you have any um before we go there um danielle share your favorite design
1: thinking resource or hack with us hmm. okay um you, so the bootcamp bootleg. I don't know if you're familiar with it no. at all. Okay. So this cool. is a document that was produced by the D school at Stanford and it essentially is an open source tool available on the internet. So you can just Google bootcamp bootleg D school Hanford, or Stanford Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically a breakdown of like the five stages of, of design thinking and walks through different techniques and like when you might want to try applying them. And so I use it kind of like a recipe book. So, you know, I think like, oh, I can't figure out what to start for dinner, I go to my recipes for inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing, like if I can't figure out how to solve some, for something, or I'm having trouble getting started, then I, I pull out that that boot camp bootleg and um, yeah, dig So can,
0: can you give an example of what's in there? Like, Yeah. So,
1: you know, I mentioned earlier, um, like the beginner's mindset, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it walks you through, it's just kind of, so the actual documents probably about 30 pages or so, but each of the techniques is just a one pager Mm -hmm. and it walks you through like the definition of a beginner's mindset, how you go about doing it. You know, so one of the first things it says is like, pretend you're a four-year-old, right? What do four-year-olds ask all the time? why, 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 right? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, kind of walks you through, for example, in that one, you know, how do you go about forgetting everything you think you know about a topic? Because that's truly what beginner's mindset is. Um, And I think we struggle to do that in HR because we are so rewarded for our expertise and like Mm -hmm. having the answers and guiding people in the right way that, you know, there's not a lot of reward systems around having a beginner's mindset. And so, you know the boot camp just kind of helps me get like in that framework and, mm-hmm. and gives a true like how to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't assume that anything's obvious.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true, not only for HR, but for our entire business world, usually. We're not re- rewarded to fail, which is a big term in design thinking, right? Yes. We, are, <laughs> we are rewarded to succeed.
1: Totally.
0: So to introduce this beginner's mindset, experimentation, failure mindset is
1: totally
0: counterculture in really, almost, you know, all, I would think, for-profit organizations and non-for-profits maybe too. Um, Very cool. So I think that's a good tip. Would you also say that's a good
1: way uh, for people who want to get started?
0: Yes. With using design thinking in HR to use that resource?
1: Yeah, you don't need to know anything about design thinking um, to pull that that resource. And, again, it'll give you kind of a high-level overview um, of some options. Okay. Yeah.
0: Cool, so I usually close before we go into the open Q&A with me giving you a quote and you're reacting to it. Are you ready?
1: Okay, i ready.
0: <laughs> okay, quote, creativity is seeing what everyone else has seen and thinking what no one else has thought, unquote, Albert Einstein.
1: Hmm, I love that. I've actually never heard that one before. Um, so I guess the reason that I love it is because I, I do think we get um, we all we all we all pass by the same things every day, right? Um, the way we absorb those things and the way we process those things and like what we do with those things uh, can really lead to some pretty unique outcomes. And so I, I love that. Mm-hmm.
0: Very cool. Good. Okay, so let's go in the chat. I got a question from Sean. Um, And he's asking, how did you use a loop in the process to validate the solutions introduced were beneficial? I assume he means what you shared about the benefits.
1: Yeah. Um, So a couple of things, you know, again, balancing like that qualitative and quantitative data. And so, you know, particularly around the Um, retirement plans, but even like with the rest and relaxation room, people had to book it. And so like periodically we would just check the logs to see like, are people actually using it or is it just sitting there empty? Um, So we were able to like actually see the data behind our changes there. I think that qualitatively, you know, we periodically do engagement surveys or, you know, and so we've seen comments in each of those that, you know, speak to some of those changes in a really positive way. And so we know you know, I, one of the most recent ones that I saw was, you know, an employee who was actually leaving us. She'd been with us for about 10 years and she was thanking us for setting herself up so well for retirement and, like, you know, just really appreciated that she had that education because she'd started with us, like, right out of school and knew that that might not have been an education that she'd get somewhere else.
0: Mm-hmm. And that, that's such a great point, because sometimes, you know, we think the experience with our employees ends when they exit the organization. <laughs> so, and, and that's really, um, you know, it's kind of one of my shticks to say that that's really an outdated concept. Yeah. Uh, because what is a 10-year, average 10-year of employees these days is like three years or something oh, like that, 10, right? 8, yeah. Right, yeah. Depending on the demographics probably, yeah. right? So, yeah. um, but what sometimes now happens is, you know, people might go, back to college, they might go to get other experiences, but they might consider to come back. Right. So, and, you know, the the research shows that returning employees are some of the greatest employees, but, you know, we've, you know, historically we've had sort of a fraught relationship with, with our employees who left. So I think it's really good to think through, um, how might we, you know, uh, shape that experience. So, you and know, they're huge they, referral sources. Right, they're, they're referrals.
1: They're
0: right. and customers. Exactly, and they exactly. Yeah. They're referrals yeah. for employees. They might become customers and so forth. So yeah. how might you design that experience? Yeah. Okay, do we have any other questions? Please put them in the chat. Um, while we uh, wait, I actually, something that you said earlier stuck out to me. So I just wanted to dive in that yeah. a little bit more. Um, you said something around, you know, um, early on in your career, when you contemplated using design thinking, you realized that you have customers too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know sometimes that's sort of historically also been maybe a debate in HR, you know, or, or maybe not, you know, have we, see, have we always seen our employees and lead, maybe leaders more than employees? I don't know, as customers. So I'm just curious how, You've come to think that way, if you kind of can explain that and, and what tip you might have or what, what I don't know, insight for others, um, how to approach it or how to view employees and leaders as customers. Yeah.
1: yeah and I think it's a common, I, I understand why it's a challenge for people. Um, because when you look at even just organizational budgets and spend, right, mm-hmm. um, you know, our our marketing teams and, you know, those that are targeting our external customers are usually more well-funded than mm-hmm. any HR team I know. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I get that. Um, but in reality, like my job doesn't exist without them. And so, you know, when I think about like, who am I here to serve? It is the people that I work with. And, um, you know, I'm not, again, you know, back to kind of the rules and process, I'm, I'm not an enforcer. I am here to make their experience go- Great, right. uh, mm-hmm. you know, so that they keep choosing us. There's a lot of choice out in the employment market. Well, yeah, maybe not as right. much. Yeah. I know. I was like, what? well, that's three <laughs> weeks old now, isn't it? <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of choice out in well, the well, market well. and there will be again, you know, there will be again. And so. You know, right. I think
0: maybe it's that. And,
1: and so that's an
0: interesting comment you made there too, you know, it's reframing this. You know, they have a lot of choice, and yeah. like, and how might we reframe this for the current situation, right? Yeah. So, um, they might not have a lot of choice right now, but how might we approach that situation with empathy?
1: And you're an employee, too. So, think mm-hmm. about like, what's the experience that you would want? Because you know, SHR, yeah, we're not, we're not absolved absolving from that. Yeah. So, yeah, we got one last question for okay. you. Let's do it. Uh, what were the
0: pivotal moments that enabled the leadership support, time investment in taking a design thinking approach versus other approach, for example, benchmarking and so forth?
1: Yeah, I think as we started to see wins, so you know um, we also adopt the fail fast, and so we are an organization that was very high on quality, which meant a very um, high upfront investment in things, and that went poorly for us often. And so I think that, you know, bringing in concepts like fail fast or act to think. So, you know, just taking a step forward, if you're feeling stuck and getting some, you know, getting something going, we started to see decreased spend and investment on stuff that never came to fruition. And so, you know, I think those, those early wins started to get even some of the naysayers on board. Mm-hmm. Great.
0: Thank you so much. We're at the end of our time. Thanks for joining us. It was so great to learn from you. Um, thanks, everybody, for joining us, and I hope I see you at a future Tell and Tales. Bye bye.